Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's March 8th, 2022. Uh, as Christopher Hitchens reminded us many years ago, Orwell continues to matter, particularly, of course, for his 1984 and his reminder that Big Brother hasn't gone away. Looking at the headlines today in Russia, the Kremlin is cracking down on truth. I'm not sure if it if it ever didn't crack down on truth. Certainly, uh, it's cracking down on the Ukrainian truth. Uh, the New York Times reports that Russia is taking censorship to new extremes, stifling war coverage. Uh, the New York Times has, in fact, left Russia, whilst the BBC has gone back in. But we know less and less of what's happening. Um, the New York Times had a piece with new limits on media Putin closes a door on Russian openness, but it might not just be Russia where Big Brother is still relevant. My guest today on the show, he's been on the show several times before, Tom Hartwell, Hartman. He is a well-known radio personality and writer, and he has a new book out. Uh, it wasn't designed to come out in the middle of a war, but it might be very relevant. It's part of his Hidden History series. The Hidden History of Big Brother in America. Uh, Tom, of course, you didn't write about Russia, but is Big Brother as alive in America as it is in Russia? Well, it's, a, it's different. It's qualitatively different. But um, there have been times in the United States when we have had uh, actual Big Brother kind of governments that were every bit as vigorous as Putin is right this minute on cracking down on a free press, on imprisoning people who opposed the government policies, um, on, on uh, imprisoning politicians who dared speak up. Uh, I'm speaking of the American South, what we refer to as the Confederacy between the 1830s and, and the end of the Civil War. Um, the American South had ceased to be a democracy. It had become a full-blown oligarchy. Um, I write about it at some length in, in my book, The Hidden History of American Oligarchy. And, uh, you know, that was one actually talking about that one as well uh, last year. So, yeah, yeah, you and I talked about it, in fact, Andrew. And, so, and uh, you're, 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 you're skillfully evading the question, Tom. Uh, the subtitle of the book is uh, the, big, the, the, the Hidden History of Big Brother in America is How the Death of Privacy and the Rise of Surveillance Threatens Us and Our Democracy. It's obviously a book written for the digital present. How does our current situation in America compare to the one in Russia? Well, I, you know, we still have a relatively free press here in the United States. So the, the largest problem is corporate concentration of the press. Um, you know, that is uh, an order of magnitude different than what's going on in Russia right now, where journalists, if they simply use the word war, are getting 15-year prison sentences. What kind of corporations, Tom? Well, there's a whole variety of them. I mean, you know, uh, I'm assuming that your show is probably incorporated. Mine is. Um, on the other hand, you've got, you know, giant media corporations. Um, uh, you know, I, there, there's several chapters about this in my book on monopolies, actually. So, well, could you give me some examples of these giant media organizations that are the new brick brother in America? I'm sorry, say it again. Could you give me some examples of these companies, of these 
giant media companies? Well, I mean, you know, you've you've got uh, entertainment companies and networks that 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 own the news. You've got a, a handful, two or three companies that own the majority of the radio stations in the United States. You got you know Sinclair that owns over two hundred television stations. Um, you've you've got obviously the the, the big three networks. Um, I'm I'm not though singling them out so much in this book as Big Brother. I mean, they, they, they're dancing to corporate tunes. You're not going to hear, for example, in the United States uh, media, uh, the news media, you're not going to hear a discussion about whether drug companies are ripping us off with regard to drug prices um, because they advertise so heavily with these companies. You're not well, gonna... we've had several shows about that and lots of, lots of interesting books written published by the large publishing companies on on the problems with big pharma. So, I mean, there is that conversation going on on ABC, CBC, CB, uh, CBS, NBC, MSNBC or CNN, because they live on that revenue. I mean, but that that is that is like a different thing from Big Brother's censorship. So what it's, exactly then for you, Big Brother? Well, I think the, in terms of, uh, you know, in the book, I break it out into basically two uh, categories, as it were. There's government big brother. And, and I'd say the largest threat to us in that context right now uh, has to do with the Patriot Act that was passed a after uh, the 9-11 attacks. And, and, and to a lesser extent with the deregulation of media from the Telecommunications Act in 96, that has more to do with, you know, going back to the monopoly discussion. Um, but so there's, you know, government big brother, and then there's also corporate big brother, you know, how, how corporations are basically, you know, mining us and our activity in order to, uh, to monetize us and, and gathering information that could, uh, you know, be used well and, and is in fact used in ways that might not work to our benefit, but certainly do work to the benefit of these giant corporations. Tom, a couple of years ago, I had Shoshana Zuboff on the show. She wrote a very famous book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. You seem to concur pretty much with Zuboff that these the big tech companies, the, the Facebooks and the Googles and the YouTubes of the world are essentially surveillance companies. Uh, which is that fair? Yeah, in fact, I quote her in the book, and and uh, you know have interviewed her on my program. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that analysis. Um, and and one of the points that she makes that usually gets lost in the conversation is that these companies are not just you know surveilling us and then selling either our information or access to us two companies that want to market products, they're also altering our behavior in the process. And that I think is one of the really dangerous things that, you know, that, that, that there's a, a subtle form of behavior modification that goes on here. In the book, I talk about social cooling, uh, this phenomena of how people change their behavior when they know that they're being observed. And uh, this, uh, you know, I mean, this happens even with animals. If you've got a cat or a dog, you know, they don't jump on the counter in the kitchen when you're out of the when you're in the room. They wait until you leave the room. Um, you know, so social cooling is like a universal animal response to being observed. And and people actually change their behavior when they believe that they're being observed. And 
you know, this this has consequences for a democracy, frankly. Um, Do we have responsibility as broadcasters, perhaps, to um, to, to be consistent? I mean, you're you make this argument in the book, and yet if you go to your website, you 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 boast about having two hundred eighty thousand YouTube subscribers, one hundred eighty thousand Facebook followers, one hundred thirty five. Twitter followers. I mean, those are three of the big tech companies that are core to surveillance capitalism. Should we be, and I, I don't want to just pick on you, Tom, but should we collectively, we broadcasters, be boycotting these companies? I'm not sure that's uh, going to cause them to change their behavior. I think that what we should be doing is, is leaning on our politicians to change Section 230 of the U.S. Telecommunications Code and to repeal significant portion, other portions of the uh, Telecommunications Act of 1996, which is what that came out of. To make them what? More, we actually had uh, Danielle Citron, another privacy activist on the show a couple of weeks ago. She has a new book coming out in the summer, The Fight for Privacy. She also makes Section two, uh, 230 core. Do we just simply need to make these companies accountable for what they publish, like traditional media companies? Uh, yeah, hang on just a minute. I just got the weirdest message and I'm still, it's not uh, from Big Brother, Tom. No, it's not. It's not from multitasking. Are you, you're not, (laughs) no, I'm not. I've got a a message here. That's a, well, it's maybe, maybe it is, uh, it's Putin. Yeah. It's all of them. It's surveillance capitalism. Yeah. I just got, for some reason, Google was just signing me out of my uh, Gmail account. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it, it grabbed my screen, and I'm and I. Oh, missed- we were talking about Section Two Thirty. Do, oh do yeah. They, so these companies, the the big tech companies, do they simply need to be made accountable for what they publish, so that we can sue them when they're publishing stuff that's against the law? That's that's the simple answer to it. Yeah. Back back in the 1980s, um, when CompuServe was the only game in town, this was before hypertext markup language (HTML) was invented. Um, I was running forums on CompuServe. Uh, Nigel Peacock and I ran about, he's in the UK, he was my partner in this. Uh, we ran about 30 forums, an IBM PC forum, a Macintosh forum, a UFO forum, a forum on the JFK assassination, on, you know, just a whole bunch of, you know, special interest cooking forums. And, and uh, we had, first of all, everybody who was a CompuServe member, we knew who they were. Um, you know, there, there was no, you know, uh, pretend identities or anonymity. And secondly, when people posted messages and until they had gained our trust, we always had to vet their messages before they were made public. And the reason for that is the same reason that, you know, if, if you, uh, Andrew, were to invite, um, you know, a whole bunch of your neighbors over to your house one day or a whole bunch of just strangers into your house one day and and uh, things get pretty wild and over in one corner, somebody's beating somebody up and in another corner, somebody's raping somebody and in another corner, somebody's you know, committing, uh, you know, smoking crack or something, the police kick in the door, you would get arrested for hosting that party, you know, along with the people who were committing the individual crimes. And that was the law with regard to homes, as it were, on the internet up until 1996. And when uh, what Section 230 basically said was the host of the house is no longer guilty of the crimes committed in the house. Now, you and I are still guilty of crimes committed in our homes, in our physical houses. But if we create a house on the Internet, we're, we're not guilty 
uh, you know, regardless of what we allow to have happen there. And, uh, you know, the, the whole idea of this was to promote the Internet, to, to, to build it out. And, and what it did was, I mean, that was after this was passed, CompuServe stopped paying us to moderate their forums. Um, by that time, they were starting to die anyway. Um, and you had, you know, Facebook and other social media just exploded after that because there were no more consequences to them for uh, hosting that kind of content. And it, 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 it you know, like I said, it exploded. That needs to be revisited. And by the way, it's not just the position of, you know, lefty people like me. Um, probably one of the best books about this, although the last half of the book is a, an extended rant about how liberals are trying to destroy America. But, you know, it is a book that was written um, by the, uh, the senator from Missouri, um, Josh Hawley, uh, you know, <laughs> specifically about this, about Section 230. So, uh, you know, and I, and I realized that, you know, there, there was a time when Donald Trump was on a tirade against the social media companies. Um, but this preceded that. And and uh, so I think that this is kind of a bipartisan concern that, you know, we we we. Uh, we did away with rules or regulations that that uh, prevented people from, you know, building a house and inviting illegal activity to happen in it. And we need to, in some ways, restore those rules. Tom, you, you, the book focuses a lot on digital technology, but um, you begin actually with the Puritans. You talk about Frederick Douglass. You talk extensively about J. Edgar Hoover. So. Big Brother has a pre-digital story in America, doesn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we had a Big Brother government in the South that, that was not small D democratic, um, and and also in the North, uh, the the uh, you know, I quote John Greenleaf Whittier's poem, "The the Women Who Came from Dover," um, about these three women who dared to defy the church. Um, just by being Quakers, basically, and he ordered them stripped to the stripped naked to the waist, and you know, in the middle of the winter, four feet of snow on the ground, tied to the back of a cart, and whipped until bloody, and then uh, in Dover, and then sent them on this, uh, you know, three day journey from town to town to be publicly whipped, and finally somebody intervened and, and stopped it. But uh, you know, it's a it's a famous bit of history. It's why uh, Ben Franklin left Massachusetts when he was 17 years old. He, he was so opposed to the theocracy, moved to Philadelphia. And, and it's one of the reasons why Massachusetts almost didn't join the United States was because there was this big battle inside Massachusetts where the theocrats wanted to turn, the Puritans basically wanted to turn it into a theocracy, into a religion-based form of governance. So we've, we've the beginning of the book, uh, the Roman poet uh, Juvenal, uh, who famously asked, uh, "Who will guard the guards themselves? Who will watch the watchers?" Yeah, exactly. Uh, is it government? Is it in, is it a mix of all of them? Well, it has to be. I mean, in in a democracy, I mean, this is this is the unique idea about a democracy: is that the watchers are the people. You know, the, 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 that is one of our duties as citizens in a democracy is to not only choose our representatives, but also observe them, observe what they're doing, observe their behavior. And that's one of the obligations of media. It's the, the so-called fourth estate, the, the functionally, you know, from for much of the history of the United States, kind of the fourth branch of government, particularly in its uh, capacity to shape public opinion, including political public opinion. 
So yeah, this is the obligation I think of all of all citizens. It's been done digitally. Uh, we've had many shows about how new technology, what in Silicon Valley now people are calling Web three technology, uh, built on the blockchain, can make politics more democratic, more open. Do you believe that technology can help in enabling uh, us to watch our watches? To some extent. And to some extent, we're having to use the, uh, if you're talking about just the watchers being government, um, we're having to use the technology of the other watchers, which is the corporate watchers, to watch the government watchers and the corporate watchers. I mean, it's gotten very uh, complicated. Yeah, blockchain though, Tom, do you think that, like that Don Tapscott, for example, thinks it's the the next big thing after the internet. Do you think it can change everything or are you a bit more skeptical? That what will change everything? Blockchain. Oh, I, you know, blockchain is, uh, no, I'm very skeptical of that, frankly. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's essentially a system of, of uh, verifying, validating or encoding data. Um, I, I realize there's a, uh, an effort to do blockchain-based voting, you know, to, to secure our vote. Um, you know, there are other ways to do that. I'm, I'm very concerned about anything. What about cryptocurrency? Would you be fearful that we'll be watched in everything we spend? Will, the, will Big Brother extend to currencies with crypto? I'd be astonished if it doesn't. Wouldn't you warn, uh, Tom, that you don't really warn so much about Putin, or you mention him in the book, but you warn most of all about China. You said that if we continue on this path, we'll become like China. We've done a number of shows. We had Amelia Pang on the show, Made in China. And above all else, the German journalist Kai Strittmatter on life in China's surveillance state. You also warn about um, Singapore. How close is America to becoming Singapore or China? Well, first of all, I do talk at, at some length about Putin and about Russia, and, and in particular about uh, how their how the next war will probably be a cyber war, at least at, at its foundation, and how the Russians have been fine tuning that. In particular, with two attacks in 2017 and uh, 2015 in Ukraine, where uh, they just like took down the country. Um, but uh, China, uh, uh, to a much much smaller extent, other countries. Um, I just talked about my own experience in Singapore more than 20 years ago. But China has developed this new social credit system that, uh, you know, like our credit reports here uh, tell potential lenders or potential landlords, you know, if you're credit worthy and all that kind of thing. But the, 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 the social credit system in China goes way beyond that. You can, you can lose points by not showing up for your reservation for a restaurant. Um, you know, for uh, being uh, drunk in public for, I mean, it's just all kinds of, you know, chilling, or, um, chilling. it's the, the government and you can gain points. You can actually raise your social credit score by speaking in favor of the government. I'm going to lose a lot of points by having you on the show. I think. <laughs> there you go. And, but the, the thing is that the, the, your, your score there will determine whether a dating service will take you on as a customer, whether you yeah. can get into a good school, whether you yourself can go to the college you want, whether you can get the job you want, whether you can live in the neighborhood you want. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, extensive, right? It's uh, yeah, it's Orwell's. Uh, I mean, as we, we began with Hitchens's book, Why Orwell Matters, uh, Contemporary China is 
1984 on digital steroids. We're talking with Tom Hartman, the author, and his new Hidden History series of The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, How the Death of Privacy and the Rise of Surveillance Threaten Us and Our Democracy. I'm going to take a short break, and then I'm going to come back, uh, and I want to talk a little bit to Tom about what's happening in the Ukraine. He has some fairly uh, interesting tweets, and I want to get an update from him on his take on the situation. So we'll be back in about 60 seconds, everyone. Don't leave us, because we are with Tom Hartman. Hi everyone, Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live. Uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keynote. We're back with Tom Hartman, the author of The Hidden History of Big Brother in America. Tom, as we speak, uh, the war continues to go on in Ukraine. How, how successfully do you think, how, are you impressed with the general American coverage or the coverage available in America of the war? Has it been quite diverse? Do you think there has been any censorship, self or state censorship? I haven't seen much evidence of that. And I, and I have been impressed by the number of correspondents who have been willing to to stay in war-torn areas uh, at, at, you know, considerable personal peril. Um, I know that, uh, you know, uh, a number of uh, news organizations, the New York Times, for example, just pulled out of Russia because they're... Yeah, you mentioned you know, that at the beginning, but yeah. that was in, to defend their own journalists, I guess, being in prison. Well, yeah, I mean, if you've got a 15-year prison sentence, uh, a foreign company like the New York Times doesn't have that much power to, you know, get you out. It's, it's, uh, it would be a tough one. It would be a real tough one. But uh, I, I've been fairly impressed by our coverage. I, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a fine line be between gung-hoism, uh, which we saw certainly in the early days of the Iraq War, which we were lied into, much like the Russian people are being lied into this war in Ukraine. 
um, and and uh, the intention, you know, to make that happen. The the, the Bush administration embedding journalists with with our uh, fighting forces in two thousand three, two thousand four, and you know, to all to get George W. Bush reelected. Uh, you know, he told his biographer in ninety nine, Mickey Herskowitz, before he ran for president, that if he became president, he was going to have a war that that would uh, help him get reelected. And sure enough, he did. Um, you know, we can't forget that. Uh, and, and, and when we think of, you know, in terms of, you know, how come the Russian people aren't, you know, in open revolt against Putin? Why is it that 59% of them still support the war? Just, you know, dial the Wayback Machine to 2004 in the United States. Um, it's, it's not that hard to do uh, for a government, particularly if they're, and, and if you have a news media that's willing to go along and, and embed journalists and things. There were a lot of, a lot of us. Uh, look, are you comparing Bush and Putin here? I am <laughs> George the, the the second Bush. <clears throat> yes, I am uh, George W. Bush and. Dick are you, so you're suggesting that the the Iraq War and the Ukraine War are similar in a, in a way of taking people's minds off other things? I I don't think it's it's so much that it's uh, you know uh, Putin has I think their motivations are quite different. Uh, Bush wanted to win re-election in 2004. He was widely seen as an illegitimate president, at least before 9-11. He lost the election by a half a million votes. And, and the Supreme Court had to hand him the White House, basically, by shutting down a recount that this, the Florida Supreme Court had required, uh, which has never been done before. I mean, you know, it's a complete violation of the Tenth Amendment, in fact. And 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 the and the Supreme Court was so embarrassed about it that they said in their decision, don't ever quote this decision. Um, that, you know, his desire to do that and Dick Cheney's desire to get the oil fields in Iraq. Cheney famously said, you know, it's the second largest oil reserves in the world, 10 percent of the world's oil reserves. And he spent from March of 2001 until until uh, the three weeks before 9-11, literally carving up those oil fields, um, you know, uh, and, and use the oil as uh, central to this war. You you tweeted, um, I think it was today, the crisis in Ukraine shows the insanity of our oil-based energy policies promoted by Republicans since the 80s. Jimmy Carter was right. We need energy self-reliance right down to the level of our individual homes, and we've wasted 45 years. We actually had um, political economist Helen Thompson on the show talking about energy. We've had lots of Lots of conversations about energy. So this is just another chapter in the long energy wars from from G.W. Bush to Vladimir Putin. Tom. Well, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, as I, as I was saying, Bush and or at least Cheney clearly was in it for the oil. Bush was in it for the politics. Iraq in 2003. I think Putin is in it right now because he's he's doing what Hitler tried to do. He's doing what Napoleon tried to do. He's doing, uh, doing what several of the Caesars, particularly Augustus, tried to do, which is reconsolidate empire. And one of the benefits of that is that he will gain access to the natural resources of Ukraine. Uh, it's the fifth largest producer of wheat in the world. They've got very fertile land. They've got massive- yeah, We had a whole show on, on uh, wheat, Ukraine, as, yeah. as uh, the, the impact uh, on Ukraine of American wheat. So, yeah, it's a really interesting point. And they have- oh, you, You're beginning to sound a little- I wouldn't say militaristic, Tom, but you um, you quoted as the Russian rape of Ukraine continues. The U.S. U.K. must take the failure of the Budapest Memorandum to heart. 
We need new and stronger agreements with explicit language defending the territorial integrity of nations like Ukraine. Uh, might we need to go to war over the Ukraine? I hope not. I hope not. My point was... No, though. I'm surprised. My, my point was, and the point of that article that, that you just pointed to the tweet to, is that in 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed, Ukraine was the third largest nuclear power in the world. They had 1,900 SS-19 and SS-22 uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles, most of them pre-targeted at the United States. And if all those missiles had gone off, it they would they had the potential to destroy every city in America with a population over 50,000 and there would be missiles left over so the united states the united kingdom and russia in the context of a un uh, provided venue in budapest spent 3 years 1991 to 1994 negotiating with the ukrainians to get those nuclear weapons away from them and, and this was known as the, the Budapest Memorandum on Security that, Assurance. That's correct. And the Budapest Memorandum explicitly says that the United States and the United Kingdom and Russia will not violate the, the, the sovereignty, the territorial integrity of Ukraine, and will defend Ukraine if, if, that, if, if it is threatened. But the, the problem is, it says the, the, the we will defend you language is kind of weak. It basically says we will bring it before the UN Security Council. And, you know, obviously that's happened and Russia just said no, because we got veto power. Um, but, the, but the Ukrainians gave up, I mean, they literally, and Zelensky has pointed this out at least a half a dozen times that I've caught on TV, where he says, you know, we were the third largest nuclear power in the world. We gave up those weapons in exchange for a security guarantee. And now you guys are not following through on the security guarantee. And my article that, and, and that tweet is not so much about Ukraine and whether or not we should go to war with Ukraine. It's that right now, Iran, which we are trying to negotiate, you know, don't have nuclear weapons with, is looking at this exact situation and saying, huh, you, you want us to do what Ukraine did and just give up our weapons and you're going to promise us that you'll protect our integrity? you got Iran saying that. You've got North Korea saying that. You've got, you know, who knows what other countries are right now, Taiwan. You know, uh, Richard Nixon got, we had nu nuclear weapons in Taiwan up until 1974. Richard Nixon got them out of Taiwan. Taiwan is officially denuclearized right now. They've got to be sitting around going, you know, our agreement with the United States is even weaker than the Budapest Memorandum was for Ukraine. And so my point is the UN needs to recognize this. If we're going to guarantee countries um, that safety and territorial integrity, then there have to be teeth in there. Otherwise, you're just going to see nuclear proliferation like nobody's business. And that doesn't benefit us. It doesn't benefit the world. That was the point that I'm making in that tweet and in the article that it's attached to. Tom, you've lived through a number of these crises. You're a prominent uh, progressive uh, voice. There's been a lot of talk about how this changes everything, the end of the post-1989 world, the beginning of a new Cold War, and so on. How significant in your mind is this moment in March 2022? I think it's tremendously significant. I think that it is a, uh, it's a, it's a turning point for Russia, certainly. Um, I, I believe that Putin has bit off more than he can chew, and uh, that it's probably the beginning of the end of his political career. Wow. Well, I hope you're right without the, the violence that might mark the end of that career. Tom Hartman, the author 
of uh, the hidden history of Big Brother in America, how the death of privacy and the rise of surveillance threatens us and our democracy. Tom, finally, um, in these strange times, in addition to your new book and your series of hidden histories, what else should people be reading? Uh, Pearl Roth. I need to find her first name. I'm for Nicole. Nicole Pearl Roth. Yeah, she yeah. wrote a great book. They, they they tell me this is how the world ends. I'm doing yeah. this. Anyway. I'm sorry. It's on the show too. Yeah, it's a. It, she's absolutely brilliant. I quote her in the book at some length, uh, and uh, I think that you know that and and the book that you spoke about earlier about surveillance capitalism. Those are are probably the two best books that have been written about the impact of this uh, new world, digital new world that we all live in. I was actually. I meant to bring this up as well. I forgot. We had um, Barton Gelman on the show several times. Of course, he's written about Edward Snowden. He was one of the journalists who exposed the, the Snowden files. Uh, we haven't heard much about Snowden. I wonder what he's up to. Have you heard anything? Uh, last I heard, he got married and had a baby. And He's in Russia. I wonder at what point does it become untenable, whether... Or you have anywhere else to go? Just before the invasion of Ukraine, the news story that I saw was that he had just applied for Russian citizenship uh, because his son, his child has Russian citizenship now because the child was born there. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't know. Fascinating. Anyway, Tom Hartman, finally, I'm asking everyone this. You know this better than anyone. Uh, Tom Hartman, um, author of The uh, Hidden History of Big Brother in America. Who runs the world, Tom? Who's in charge? Big money. Uh, you could call it big brother, but, you know, I mean, uh, particularly here in the United States, since the Supreme Court said that it's legal to own politicians, it's no longer called political bribery. Now it's called free speech. Uh, 